Check podcasts. This is Van Collar. Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and this is Van Color, British Columbia's bonafide culture and politics TV talk show right here on Check and Check Plus. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Tonight, we're going to be talking about policing in British Columbia. Is BC going to ditch the RCMP for a provincial police force like the ones found in Ontario, Quebec, and Newfoundland and Labrador? A new report by an all-party legislative committee of BC MLAs recommends that we do just that. Legislative reporter for the Vancouver Sun and the province newspapers, Katie DeRosa, will unpack this committee's work for us, the reasons for it, the recommendations that came out of it, and the reactions to it. But first, the thin blue line patch has been banned from police uniforms by the Victoria Police Department, the Ottawa Police Service, and the RCMP. So why are some Vancouver police officers wearing this thin blue line patch? Is this patch a show of solidarity between police officers, or is it a racist symbol? Our first guest is going to explain this controversy. He is a longtime civic affairs reporter for Glacier Media, which includes Vancouver is Awesome. He is Mike Howell Mike. So so nice to see you. Hey, nice to see you. Thanks for being here. So this thin blue line patch, I first heard of it around 2014, late 2014, out of the Blue Lives Matter movement in the United States. Right. And it kind of creeped up here into Canada. Can can you give me some background on when we started seeing these patches in Canada and what spurred police officers across the country to start wearing them? Yeah, well, I I guess, you know, the discussion is fairly new about this, but the symbol is not. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, so, um, you know, I've received, I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago about this and I've received, you know, quite a few emails from, uh, current and retired police officers, uh, retired RCMP superintendent, uh, told me that he's been wearing it for 25 years. Oh, okay. So it's not that new. No, no. Yeah. And, um, and the reason he wears it is out of respect for fallen officers. Um, you know, end of story. Mm-hmm. That's, that's his perspective, but, right. um, locally in Vancouver, uh, it has become an issue because it was brought before the police board just recently. Uh, there was a complaint from someone in the city who was at a land back rally and saw a Vancouver police officer wearing uh, a thin blue line patch. And your viewers may be familiar with it. It's a Canadian flag and it has a blue line running mm-hmm. through it. And uh, the complainant uh, said that this was a a white supremacist badge and wanted the police board to look into it. And that's what they're going to do. And we've seen different jurisdictions across Canada, police departments ban this patch. Yeah. So is it a racist symbol? What what are the complaints and why are people saying that it is racist or creating division between the police and the communities that they're policing? Well, we don't have a lot of time for a history lesson, but uh, (laughs) it it dates back to the Crimean War, you know, 1850s, uh, Russians fighting the British and the Allies. British uh, formed a a thin red line because they wore red uniforms. It was a thin red line to stop in advance. And then um, in later years, uh, some U.S. police departments adopted 
it and U.S. military, but wearing blue uniforms, it became a thin blue line. We right. had police departments in New York and Los Angeles talk about this idea of a thin blue line. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, I think in 2017, at the Unite um, the Right rally in Charlottesville, uh, West Virginia, um, we saw the U.S. flag with this thin blue line flying next to the Confederate flag. Right. And that's when concerns really started to be raised again about racism and is this symbol appropriate. Uh, more recently, I talked to the president of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, Stuart Phillip, who told me that there was absolutely no difference um, between this uh, patch and a swastika. Really? Yeah. So is that kind of the problem where you have these symbols, and we're having this debate with even just the Canadian flag as it is, Yeah. when certain symbols get adopted by, let's say, unsavory characters or yeah. people who we vehemently disagree with, yeah. then suddenly the whole symbol is is kind of tarnished? Is this part of that larger conversation? I, I Well, uh, yes, yes and no. Um, um, talking again to the Chief Philip about this, that um, if you look at the colonial history of Canada and um, what has happened to Indigenous people in this country, um, it was operated by government and military and police. Right. And so to him, um, this uh, symbol is hurtful uh, to Indigenous people, and he's asked that it be removed from all Vancouver police officers and the police, police board should do that like now. Yeah. When it comes to police uniforms, are they allowed to wear decorative patches, especially if they're political? Like, I would assume with a uniform, there are strict rules about how they have to be worn, right? Yeah. Police Chief Adam Palmer uh, talked a little bit about this at the police board recently, where he said there is a dress policy. There is some leeway for officers to wear certain things. The thin blue line patch is one of those. Um, They they wear pins and, and different uh, symbols related to like cops for cancer mm-hmm. or uh, law enforcement uh, kind of memorial ribbons. Uh, so uh, it does happen uh, in the city. And uh, as far as the number of Vancouver police officers who wear it, um, the police chief uh, says very few actually wear it. Right. Which I think is, um, you know, uh, you, you mentioned some of the other police departments in Calgary. Uh, I, you know, the Calgary Police Commission actually said you're not allowed to wear those anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're kind of holding off because they're talking to police associations to figure out how to move forward. In the interim, a lot of these police officers who weren't wearing them are all wearing them now. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, it's so, like a backlash. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but I want to be clear, the police officers that I've spoken to and I've heard speak, they say the reason they're wearing them is to respect fallen officers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's why they're wearing them. It's They're not wearing it because they're racist. And, you know, you have to take them at their word for that or... Um, you know, listen to what uh, Chief Stuart Phillip has to say about the colonial history and uh, why those symbols, uh, you know, are, are important uh, discussion point. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you investigating this. I think yeah. symbols are important and discussing where they come from and what they mean and if they are appropriate is an important dialogue. So I appreciate yeah, your work on this. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. Folks, that was the civic affairs reporter for Glacier Media. Find his work at Vancouver is Awesome. He is Mike Howell. 
Now, after some business, we're going to stick to policing and find out more about a suite of policing reforms that was just proposed for British Columbia by a cross-party committee of BCMLAs. Will the RCMP in BC soon be replaced by a provincial police force? Legislative reporter Katie DeRosa will explain. Up next. Welcome back to This is Van Color. My name is Mo Amir, and tonight we've been talking about policing. And just last week, BCMLAs, as part of an all-party legislative committee, put forth the Transforming Policing and Community Safety in British Columbia report with proposals to restore trust in BC policing. One of the proposals includes doing away with the RCMP in favor of a provincial police force, but... What does that accomplish? To explain it all, we're joined by the legislative reporter for the Vancouver Sun and the province newspapers as part of the Post Media Network. She is Katie DeRosa. Katie, thanks so much for being here tonight. Hi, Mo. Thanks so much. Just talking about the little issue of police reform. I'm sure we'll we'll solve this in no time. Just a light issue, I think. (laughs) But catch us up here. What spurred the creation of this all-party legislative committee of BCMLAs looking into policing? What was the objective? What were they trying to address? I mean, so we have to look back to the summer of 2020, which was when um, Black Lives Matter protests were happening across Canada and the world following uh, the the murder by police of of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. Uh, So obviously that was uh, a a huge, um, huge incident that uh, sparked um, governments across Canada and including BC to question what are we doing to address systemic racism and police brutality. And so Solicitor General Mike Farmworth announced this committee uh, in July 2020. And so I think it was an acknowledgement that BC's not immune to overt and systemic racism that has made headlines in the US, but you know has also been uh, has made headlines here with some very high profile uh, wellness checks that have uh, turned deadly uh, and of an acknowledgement of of a disproportionate policing that uh, against uh, people of color, including indigenous, black, uh, and, and other racialized groups. Um, and again, it's also a big um, a sticking point for police departments that to even admit whether systemic racism exists. Uh, the RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky was it took her several days to admit that systemic racism is, exists, and, and the Vancouver Police Department as well had resisted uh, acknowledging that. Okay, so the objective here is to look at systemic racism, systemic discrimination. So very briefly, what sort of police reforms are being recommended in this committee's report? So again, these these reforms are are are, are huge if they were actually acted upon, um, which we will have to see. But the uh, you know the only the small task of of doing away with the RCMP um, and replacing it with a provincial police force. Uh, we haven't had a provincial police force in BC since the 1950s, mm-hmm. um, and you know again the report has no sort of details on on how much that would cost. Uh, any of those uh, uh, pretty Im- important. Uh, follow-ups that would need to be done. Also, uh, creating recommending the amalgamation of several police departments. Uh, Greater Victoria and Metro Vancouver are a collection of smaller police departments that oftentimes work in silos, don't talk to each other. You know, we've seen some problems in terms of of policing and, and individuals who are able to evade police by bouncing between jurisdictions. So that was another recommendation. Um, on mental health, they are also the 
report also recommends that police should no longer be the first line of defense uh, or the first line of response for mental health related calls so that there should be an integrated team of uh, social workers, nurses uh, to respond to those types of calls uh, and also better standardized training for anti-racism, uh, cultural sensitivity, uh, you know, for police officers. So, I mean, a lot of recommendations uh, that that we'll have to see if uh, how far we get in terms of implementing them. Right. And and so those last two recommendations that you mentioned, they seem to at least somewhat address systemic discrimination or systemic racism. But looking at some of these other proposals, like how does the amalgamation of police forces in certain communities to make a regional police force or the creation of a provincial police force, like how does that restore trust in BC policing or address systemic discrimination? So I think uh, particularly around the creation of a provincial police force, you know, the, the bureaucratic speak is governance, but I think the, the plain way to put it is control. So if there's uh, local control, for example, by uh, First Nations communities, which are uh, often policed by the RCMP in more rural areas uh, or local governments, if they have more control uh, over the types of training, the types of uh, policies that the police force is, is putting in place, Mm-hmm. Um, they are better, better able to shape some of those um, anti-racism and, and, uh, and initiatives. Uh, and also some RCMP detachments, um, many of them actually, many of the small ones, have officers who cycle in and out every four years. So those officers, even if they build a relationship with some of the uh, Indigenous communities or, or racialized uh, communities um, or anyone in the community, they can't really, you know, build on that relationship because four years uh, after, later, they're shipped out to somewhere else and a new, you know, community policing officer is put in. So that, for example, is some of the the issues that they say could uh, restore trust. Um, in terms of, of amalgamation, it seems, again, that there's they're saying that it's a uh, the police culture, that there's sort of a, a thought that a larger police department uh, is more accountable to the community. Uh, but again, I, that, that would probably get pushback from some smaller departments who say we have a better relationship with our community because we can do community policing. Right. So what you're saying is it's not straightforward in terms of that these are silver bullets that will solve systemic racism or relationships that police have with communities. I mean, definitely no silver bullets. And and I think that that it was really highlighted by some of the the advocacy groups. Um, you know, there's uh, BC Civil Liberties Association, Pace uh, Society and Pivot Legate Pivot Society um, were basically saying that they don't think any of these recommendations are really going to have a transformative uh, impact on uh, addressing uh, police misconduct, uh, police over over policing of certain uh, marginalized communities. Uh, they want to see basically defunding and demilitarization of police. So uh, you, you won't be able to convince those groups that these reforms, even if they were put into place, will have that significant shift to restore that lost trust. How would defunding or demilitarizing the police create greater trust with the police? I mean, it sounds like, okay, we're not even going to talk about trust. We're just going to get rid of the police so we don't have that issue. Like, I'm a little confused with, with their stance there. I, I, again, I think that what they're saying is there there are certain groups that are policed for social issues. You know, they're you know an individual who's who's experiencing homelessness or who's experiencing a mental health crisis. That they are, um, you know, if they are having a mental health crisis and the police are the first uh, line of of response, that that those police officers are are you know 
again, over-policing certain communities and are not going to have, uh, they're, they're basically saying that those are the wrong people to call. Um, and that even if the integrated teams of police and mental health officers are the ones to, to respond, I think these groups are saying that, that the police have already, um, you know, they have their, they have uniforms, they carry, they carry weapons and that they already have, that that trust is so far gone that, Mm. you know, the police should be uh, taking a back seat and that it should be, you know, health professionals to deal with some of these health crises. So what's next when it comes to this report? Like, is it back to the drawing board to get some of the details in place? Or will we start to see the BCNDP government put some of these recommendations into action? I, I mean, that is the huge question mark. Um, you know, uh, uh, Minister Farnworth has said that uh, starting uh, in the summer, he's going to be talking to some of the the impacted groups, some of the uh, Indigenous communities and, and racialized communities about uh, how to implement these, these uh, recommended reforms. But uh, this is a political football because it's it's two years away from an election. Regionalizing uh, police departments has always been a thorny issue. We've been talking about this issue for decades and, and nobody's gotten anywhere on it. So trying to tell, uh, you know, for example, Ope and Saanich and Esquimalt uh, and West Shore that they need to uh, become pals and, and have one police department and not fight about cost and, uh, you know, get on with it. I mean, that's going to be a tricky pill to swallow. And I don't think it's going to gain any votes from from mayors. I know Langford Mayor Stu Young has been pretty strong in saying, you know, we like our RCMP, thank you very much, and don't take them away from us. So if this is going to uh, create any change, it's it's yet to be seen. I, I think maybe some of the health, mental health measures uh, hopefully could be acted upon uh, pretty quickly since there are already in certain communities integrated teams of, of mental health and police. So um, we can hope that that, uh, that takes some stride and the Canadian Association of, of um, Mental Health has had confidence that that's going to be one of the first uh, avenues to, to actually be acted upon. Last question really quickly. You've kind of touched on this already. We do have municipal elections in BC happening later this year in October. Is this going to play a role in in communities like Surrey or Vancouver or even Victoria, where policing and law and order and safe in public safety has become key issues in those municipalities? I definitely think it will be an election issue for for some of those municipal mayors. Um, again, even just taking Victoria for example, uh, its marriage, forced marriage with Esquimalt, has always been uh, a big issue. And Esquimalt Mayor Barbara Jardin has has always been vocal in saying, "Well, when we were told that Victoria and Esquimalt had to combine uh, and, and have one police department, we were told the rest of the the municipalities were going to follow suit. That it wasn't just going to be the two of us." Uh, and again, Surrey that. That's been a huge issue. That uh, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum has uh, has had some very uh, uh, fiery incidents with his opponents, uh, you know, including leading to a criminal charge. But when when he spoke with uh, with our newspaper, he ad- he was adamant that this is the way to go, and that uh, local governments deserve control over their departments. So mm-hmm. it depends on who you know, the members of the public as to whether they believe that they're being served by the RCMP or whether they believe we should you know throw out the whole the whole baby with the bathwater and start over again. Uh, yeah. So I, who knows if if that's uh, where that will take us when we see the municipal elections and the provincial elections in two years. It's going to be interesting for sure. And I'm sure that you'll be keeping an eye on this issue and keeping everyone informed. Thank you so much for this, Katie. Thanks, Mo. Nice to talk to you.
Absolutely. Anytime. Folks, that was the legislative reporter for the Vancouver Sun and the province newspapers, Katie DeRosa. This is Van Culler. We'll be back next week right here on Check and Check Plus, Sundays at 7 p.m. For more, find This is Van Culler on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you to Glacier Media's Mike Howell, Post Media's Katie DeRosa. This is Van Culler, and I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a province where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Yeah.